you'd go open the door to go to school in the morning and there'd be seven dogs sitting outside panting. And she would desperately try and get out there because she wanted to fulfil her biological imperative. Of course. They wanted to get there in the way. A lady's got needs. I'm a schoolboy caught in the middle, <laughs> wearing hand-me-down trousers that don't stretch to my ankles. Hi, welcome to Walking the Dog with Emily Dean. I'm loving getting all your feedback and thoughts. So please, if you get a minute, do rate and review. And if you want to hear more, subscribe on iTunes. This week, I went out with Jonathan Ross and his French bulldog, Snowball. To give him his full name, it's Professor Snowball. I'm not sure what he got his PhD in. Lampposts in the North London area, maybe? I mean, I'm sure he's a very respected academic in his field. It's just that his field happens to be a ditch in Hampstead Heath. Come on then, Snowball. So where are we going to go? We'll go over here onto what is called the Heath Extension. It's the extension of Hampstead Heath, because we are lucky enough to live right near it. And... It's favoured by local dog walkers, many of whom take that slightly superior tone and pretend to know more about dogs than anyone else. So they're actually, collectively, I find dog owners both charming and intensely annoying. (laughs) I should say, by the way, I'm with Jonathan Ross, as if you didn't know already. This is Walking the Dog. I'm Emily Dean, and we're with Jonathan Ross, and we're also with Snowball. Well, hold on. Give him his full name. Oh, it's his full name? Professor Snowball. Is he a professor? Yes, he's a professor. Jonathan, I'm really sorry. I didn't know that. Well, you know, it's very t- typical of you. Typical white privilege. <laughs> Your dogs always tend to have a sub-prefix, don't they? No, not all of them. Many of okay. them do. I mean, there was uh, Yoda, who we had for many years, who sadly died last year. He was put down. He was very old, and he was... The last few weeks of his life, he got quite ill. It was quite... It was very sad. But in a way, it was kind of, a, you know, a very interesting experience. A yeah. very useful experience. Because, of course, he was. He was just, you know, ready to die. But he, uh, he was often referred to, as, as you know, as <laughs> Professor Podomowski. Um, I invented a story for the children when he was young that we bumped into him while he was touring, lecturing on dog behaviour. Yeah. And he, he took to us and needed a place to stay. And so, but it wasn't really his full name. And we always no. knew it was a kind of, it's like the kind of doctorate that gets given to someone like, you know... Uh, Paul McKenna. Or, or Phil Collins. You know, yeah. it's like, uh, you know, it's, it shouldn't, they should really have the self-respect not to accept it. So we've got... so. We should describe Snowball. Snowball is, he's a very handsome he's chap. He's a beautiful French bulldog. Yeah. He is uh, probably six years old now, six, six and a half years old. Yeah. He has had a, a sort of like a difficult life because he was actually bought for me by Jane on my 50th birthday. Yeah. So it's very easy to remember his age because I'm 56 going on 57 now. You look and great. I look amazing, but not as amazing <laughs> as he does. And he has been through far more than me, remarkably. Because he had a number of ops, didn't he? Yeah, well, I didn't realise that French Bulldog, a lot of breed dogs, but this kind of breed in particular, are prone to a lot of genetic disorders anyway. Uh, fairly early on, he had, uh, we detected a heart murmur, so he was on pills for that. Then he got very ill, and one time I was meant to be going out, oddly, I was meant to be going out, <laughs> to dinner with David Williams <laughs> as a celebration of Barbara Windsor. And I'd promised to go, more because I love Barbara Windsor and, and I you know, wanted to show my respect to her and my friendship to her. But I am actually, I mean, I'm not a recluse, but certainly I'm not keen on socialising. And so... Um, I know, how did I pass the test? Mm, well, just luck. But um, I decided I would make the effort. But I was, I'm always worried, because people know I don't like doing those things. When you cancel, you suspect their eyes are rolling back and they're thinking, obviously it's cancelling. But I, as I was about to leave, I was feeding all the dogs and rounding them up. I couldn't find Snowball anywhere. And I searched for him. And we haven't got a huge back garden. I mean, it's big, but it's not enormous. I searched for him for about an hour in the back garden, couldn't find him. I began to panic. 
And in the end, I found that he'd crawled into a tiny little space away from everyone to be on his own. And that's oh. always a sign that a dog is not well. Yeah. You know, normally they go away from the pack when they're about to die. So, yeah. so I cancelled the so Williams really? Windsor evening and uh, rushed him to, and it was after vet hours, and we took him to a sort of local animal hospital. And then they diagnosed him with, the heart was still bad. He also had an ear infection that had got worse, which we treated for him in the past. They also said his spleen needed work. There was loads of stuff. So in the end, he had a heart operation and they fixed the heart completely. But yeah. sometimes these dogs are born with one, only one aorta going into the heart instead of two. It's really crazy, yeah. messed up. So poor little fella, he had heart operation, ear operation, then another ear operation, nose operation, soft palate operation, spleen removed, something was wrong with his leg. And he went through all this in about a year and a half. And of course, he was one of the dogs in the house that's not covered by pet insurance. <laughs> ah, okay. So essentially, I could be so walking that... an Italian car now. Yeah, you he's know, the an amount expensive of money. chap, isn't he? But he's he? worth every penny. Look, it's he... like having a trophy wife, isn't oh, it? He's cool. I think that he feels that way about me. <laughs> I hope. He's a good boy, look at so him. So you've got, Jonathan, you've got Snowball, who's adorable, and then you've got the Pugs. Well, they're we... just known as the Pugs. I never know their name. Well, just, everyone calls them the Pugs. Impy and Piglet. Okay. However, because they're brothers, we've now forgotten which is which. <laughs> now, the only way we can tell them apart is one of them had to have a front leg surgery he had a fracture, yeah. so he's got a plate in his leg. So if you feel the leg, you can feel the metal plate in there. I don't like doing it because that, that freaks me out. Yeah. So I just refer to them as the pugs more often. But they're very really close, cute. shall we say, in a way that dogs don't seem to be as troubled by societal norms when it comes to expressing their sexuality. <laughs> so even though they're brothers, there are moments that none of us are particularly comfortable watching. Well, I've been at your house sometimes and you do get an impromptu live sex show. You do, it's like being in the box. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we've also got, as well as the two pugs, the over-sexualised pugs. Oh, who's this coming up? No idea. He looks sweet though, doesn't he? Look at that. Hello, Snowball, who's that? Snowball can be occasionally aggressive on first meeting. Hello. Snowball, he dog. doesn't want to play like that, thank you. Come on. He's gone off, that was a one-night stand for Snowball. He's a nice elderly chap with his dogs. This yeah. is me in about two years' time. <laughs> got three wow, more. This is, Hello. What breed is this? This is a beautiful animal. German Spitzers. Wow, what a beauty. Oh, uh, 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 Snowball, come on. Be friends. Look, look, I'm friends. You can be friends. There, look. See? Yeah, they get really hot in their coats, don't they? And that's a collie, yeah? Yeah. yeah and, and who's this little fellow here? I don't know. I've just picked him up. Oh, you've just found oh, a dog. <laughs> You're not dog napping, are you? Yeah. He's got. He's done his business over there. Good boy. He's a. I love the grey one. Is an. And maybe it's. A, maybe we discovered a whole new breed. Yeah. What the dog you found on the street? Yeah. Looks Hello. a bit like one of my um, Sony robotic dogs. Hello. Nice to meet you, sir. Enjoy the rest of your day. Nice to meet you. Bye bye. What lovely animals. Really lovely. We've got the two pugs, and then we've got Princess. We've got Princess, who is a faded rose. She's the oldest dog that we have left. She's 11 or 12 thereabouts. She's on her way out, to be honest with you. I'm a bit worried about this weekend. So we give her lots of little treats and lots of little strokes and make sure she feels kind of loved. But she won't, you know, I don't think she'll see Christmas, certainly. And um, she's a chihuahua, isn't and she? She's a chihuahua and she had puppies in the house with Jane's dog. She was uh, our daughter Honey's dog. Mm. Uh, Yoda was Harvey's dog. Betty had Captain Jack, who died also yeah. last year, and he was put down. I was holding him and stroking while he's put down, poor old thing. And there's a very sweet story about that, which you have, if you have time, I'll happily share with you. Yeah. And then um, we have Princess, who had puppies with Sweeney, who's Jane's um, Brussels Griffin. What you up to? You can do go to the toilet. Uh, Brussels Griffin, which was an alarming thing to witness. And I don't know if you've ever seen a pregnant chihuahua, but they're small animals. And when yeah. they're stretched to bursting point with four puppies, it doesn't look like it was intended. 
to happen that way. It, really, they should lay eggs or something because she was not comfortable. So, um, but she's very, very sweet. Um, but that's what's happened really is the children all had one dog each. And Jane and I had a dog. We had five. So when we walked the dogs, yeah. uh, uh, one person per dog, that's easy to walk. Yeah. As the children gradually moved away to university or just to get on with their yeah. life, the dog stayed. And then my dog, Mr. Pickle, died uh, accidentally, which was awful and really yeah. upset me. So that's when I bought the, you were the really pug boys. Sad about that. Really sad. And then Jane bought me Snowball. So we had this kind of growing, and then the kids kept dumping their pets on us. Like we've got Rigel, who's Betty, who's doing her PhD in biology down in Brighton. He's your because eldest, the, yeah, yeah. Because the studies are quite intense, she's dumped her dog on us. And he's a bad influence. He's a bad influence. That's going to be children one day, isn't it? Well, I, I think children are much easier to handle in a way than dogs. Because children, you are forced to pay attention to. I mean, I think we all forget that we have a relationship with our dogs. So it's easier to forget. Yeah. And you need to give them as much time, really, as you can. Because yeah. they, and if you don't, they do get a bit pack mentality and they do get a bit crazed. And, and so, I mean, I do make sure that I spend time and interact with them as much as possible. Because otherwise, I think that, that's when their worst natures come out. Or that's when their kind of, you know, their animal traits develop more. Yeah. And you wind up with, with dogs that just go to the toilet wherever they want, and they snap at each other, and they try and... Well, that's what I've got. That's awkward. So, Jonathan, when you were growing up, did you have pets when you were growing up then? We, we always had dog pets. family. We had pets. I can't remember. They, we didn't have pets in the way that we have pets now. I mean, they weren't sort of purchased breed animals that were, you know, looked after and... Fussed over part of the family. Much. Yeah, I mean they were sort of part of the family, but they were. Well, it's hard actually. When I come to think of it, see, I was kind of like that as well. I mean, my parents went on some sort of fierce breeding program, and there were six of us. Oh, uh, human beings, yeah, not dogs. There were six of us, <laughs> and really, you know, my feeling is that a family of six is fine if people have the time to deal with them. But my parents didn't have the time to deal with them because my dad was making ends meet as much per, as possible. And my mum wasn't working, she was looking after the family. So really, I mean, I was largely neglected, which is fine. I'm not, you know, bothered about it. But it's, the truth is, you don't have the time to give six children. If you're, hello. Hello, that's a, quite a handful you got there. <laughs> but all beautifully behaved, just like my boy. Yeah. Um, so we had, we had, first of all, we had... When I you guess said they, quite a handful you've got there, I really hope she knows <laughs> you meant the dogs. Like a carry-on moment. <laughs> So sorry, we're talking about your childhood. So we had uh, me to make a joke. Yeah, no, it's very typical of you. Um, and, uh, we had um, so we first we had a dog, and I have no idea how we acquired her, but she was a mongrel, so she was some sort of like you know a dozen breeds rolled into one. Quite unattractive, frankly. I mean, a very unattractive animal. No one ever looked at her and thought, "Wow, that's a nice looking dog." I mean, she and her name was Trog, T R O G, Trog, and she I named her bizarrely, and I and it's odd that I named her this way because. She was sort of named because apparently when she was brought as a puppy and I was too young, so this would have been about 64, 65. And this is in, is it Leytonstone? Leytonstone, East yeah. London, where I was yeah. brought up. Um, I used to watch a TV show, a black and white puppet show for children called Pogles Wood. Yeah. Which was very sweet. I think it was one of the Oliver Postgate programmes back before he enjoyed bigger success. And they had a pet squirrel in it called Tog. They had like West Country accents. They go, Tog? Where's Tog? And I interpreted that as trog. Now, obviously, the irony is I inserted an R into a word when so much of my life has been defined by my inability to successfully wrangle the letter R. But So trog was her name, which was an odd name. I spent a, yeah. lot, a lot of time explaining that name to people. And trog was with us one. Trog was a, a bitch, so she was, but she was, never, she was never sort of like snipped. So right. she was always going into heat. I don't know why my parents didn't think it would be a good idea to, to get that dealt with, because our lives were kind of dominated by that. Once a month or thereabouts when she would go on heat and she would give off whatever smell it is that attracts all the neighbourhood dogs. Yeah. Bear in mind, East London in the 60s, a lot of just stray dogs. 
you know, it really was, it was kind of, it is like a whole nother world. And um, I'll open the door to go to school in the morning and there'd be seven dogs sitting outside panting. And she would desperately try and get out there because she wanted to fulfill her biological imperative. Of course. They wanted to get there in the way. A lady's got needs. I'm a schoolboy caught in the middle, <laughs> wearing hand-me-down trousers that don't stretch to my ankles. You know, it was a pathetic sight. So often she would get out and, and when, I don't know whether you've seen dogs post-coitus. Right. They stick together. Oh, I something, see. They're hard to separate. Yeah, yeah. something happens to the, the member. It's like I think foxes, it, yeah. It gets stuck in. Like, I think that's kind of to give them a better chance of getting pregnant. But and often they seem to be sort of asked to ask. I, physically, I've never quite understood how... I guess the, the dog's penis has a more kind of a hinge capability than the human penis. But, hello. Hello. Good morning. Perhaps you could help us on this. <laughs> good morning. There's a little dog. Great timing there, dog. See that dog? I can't talk about this in front of their dog. He's too polite and middle class. Oh, no, That's like looks... Margot and Joey from The Good Life. It really is. What a charming elderly couple. Very lovely. So, um, and they used to get stuck together. And often we get people knocking the door and saying, your dogs are stuck together. And once it was in the middle of a local football match. And I had to walk out with a bucket of cold water. With a bucket of cold water in front of a jeering crowd of football fans. As a boy, I'm a boy. I don't even really know what's going on. I had to throw this water over the dogs, and that would often separate them. So I guess the shock would make whatever That's was going on with the man. That's quite traumatic, having to do that. Deeply, but I feel I'm like making progress. You are. With that childhood then, did you, did you share a room with all your yep. brothers? There were five, there were five in boys room? in one room. Two bunk beds and one bed on its own. And, uh, and pe- okay. people have this kind of thing, though, don't they, about... You know, we didn't have much, but we had each other and we all... Do you think that's... Well, we didn't have much and we didn't have each other. I mean, we were kind of... We were close only in terms of geography, really. I mean, I'm very fond of all my brothers, yeah. but I, 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 I don't interact with them much. They're very nice men. They're all nice men. They're all kind of very different people. My sister's nice. I don't interact with her much. My parents are nice. I don't really interact with them much. You know, they're all... I'm fond of all of them. Mm. But it feels like it's more of a biological connection than anything else. And I suspect that's because there were so many of us growing up. So, you know, and I was, <coughs> bizarrely, I know people might find this surprising, but I'm actually essentially an introvert. I was going to say, you, I always get the impression from what you said about you being quite an introverted child, like growing up. So how did that manifest itself then? Were you not, did you not have loads of friends or did you spend a lot of time in your room? I didn't really you have, didn't have a room, so. many friends. Yeah. No, I would spend a lot of time in the room. Yeah. We didn't call it, no one called it my room. It was yeah. in the bedroom or the, the room. Because um, I would draw a lot or read comics. So I would just spend all day on my own drawing. My mum once came up to me and said, I'm worried about you in here all day on your own. And I went, I think I said, don't be. <laughs> that was probably as long as the conversation went on for. That was it. My, you know, I... I I found things to amuse myself and I found things to entertain myself. And this, of course, I mean, if you do have any younger people listening, and I suspect with me on the show, you probably won't this week. It was such a different world then. I don't think people realise, you know, this was before, not only was it before the internet, of course, but it was before VCRs. I mean, actually, we're talking about before colour television. Yeah. You know, so, so before anyone had VCRs, you were a slave to what was being shown on the only three available channels. And one of them was essentially open university for hours, then a couple of sort of like soft art programmes... Uh, and then it was good night. So there was not much on for, to engage young people. And when you looked at telly then, did you think, oh, that's something I'd like to do one day? Or did it not even occur to you that that would be I an option? I quite liked it. I, had a, I think I had a desire to be noticed, essentially. I guess what tragically this all comes down to. And that comes from my, yeah, and that comes from my um, being the middle child in a family of six. And actually slightly more isolated than that even because... My two oldest brothers, there was one year apart with them being born. Then there was a two-year gap for me. I think my parents tried for another one and it didn't quite work. Then there was me. And then there's another two-year gap. And there's my younger brothers who have one-year gap each. So 
they kind of formed little units, you mm. know, so the two oldest were close and the two younger ones were close and my sister was sort of off on her own and treated somewhat differently by my parents, obviously. So I was sort of, I felt very much on my own in the middle and I didn't share the interest they did. They either genuinely liked or pretended to like sports. I, I didn't like sports and couldn't be bothered to pretend to like sports. Yeah. So I think my father didn't really understand me. Not that he was sporty crazy, but I think he found me more than any of the others uh, perplexing and difficult to to like, to really. Yeah. So yeah, so it was. Uh, I was kind of deliberately on my own and quite happy in it, really. I don't think of my childhood as being an unhappy childhood, but I don't think of my childhood as being. There's nothing about my childhood I miss apart from the things I did on my own. Yeah. There is no family memories I have, which I treasure. I've got none. You know, I have very few memories. But then you've really created that now, haven't you? The fact that you've, you know, I would describe you as someone now, and I'm lucky enough I get to spend time with you and your family. Well, that's very, very, um, uh, I think, polite of you to say. (laughs) I don't know whether I believe you really believe that, but I mean, it's nice of you to say that. I know. For the sake of societal (laughs) needs. Yeah, exactly. But no, I think you're someone that that's kind of an important thing to you now, isn't it? That's I know, it's very important. I, I adore my family. I love yeah. my family. And the, the time we spend together, I value. I mean, much more than even the time I get to spend on my own, which I also value tremendously. But, you know, I, I feel I've got... A, a, I like my the balance in my life between yeah. things. So, you know, but I think we all, you know, as you get older, you kind of make peace with who you are and what you are. And you, you try to enjoy... You know, you try not to do things that you don't want to do too much. And if there are things that you feel obliged to do, you try and find pleasure in them. And so I, I very much enjoy hanging out with kids. I hang out with them in a different way to Jane. Yeah. I like it to be, I'm slightly more transactional. So I like there to be, I like to know there's a reason for me being there. Oh, I'm that's helping, interesting. I'm helping yeah. you with this. Yeah. I'm doing this. Is that a male thing, maybe? I don't think so. I mean, it might be partially. I don't know. I, I know I see it in men, but I see it in some women as well. I think it's, you know, a personality type. You're good at acts of service. Catherine Ryan introduced me to that concept, which is that she said, when I interviewed her for this podcast, she said, that's how you can kind of show up in relationships. That's a really good thing to do. So you do acts of service for someone. Yeah. And I think you're quite good at that. You're very, let me get your coffee, let me do this. The problem me... is, I'm so not good or not comfortable with the other side of it. That's the problem. I mean, that, that's where What's the What's the other side of it? The other side is being pleased to be with people just because the time you spend together, regardless of what you're doing, yeah. somehow nourishes you or you somehow enjoy it. You know, and I don't, I have to force myself to stay in the room with people <laughs> once the job is done. <laughs> I mean, that's why I don't mind going for dinner with people because you know roughly how long it's going to be. Yeah. And you know that you can then quite happily go, no, I have to go now. Thank you for that. Thank you for human contact, which, by the way, I still don't get. But I'm off. <laughs> I'm going home. And now I'm going to play, what's the thing you always play? Titanfall. Titanfall 2. That's on, your favourite Titan... game. Well, yeah, although I'm terrible at it. I mean, I'm terrible at it. I've been playing it. It's tra- tragic because it's it's, this is a, on the Xbox. I think it's on other yeah. platforms now, but it started on the Xbox. And it's uh, they've got this huge server about the size of South Korea. Yeah. So people can play against each other online. And I've been playing this game. I mean, they released version 2 a little while ago, but I've been playing that fairly solidly for a year. I mean, probably every day for a year. You can look at your stats and it says something like 50,000 hours played. And still, when I log into the game, there's no consistency as to whether I'd be one of the best players in that match or, more often than not, on the bottom two. And it's someone like Nutty Dave Manx 1, who clearly is 7 or 8, because you sometimes hear their voices come out. He's just killing everyone. 
So and the 10,000 hours principle doesn't, doesn't apply, to, apply to Titanfalls. No. So when you were growing up, Jonathan, did you know... I mean, were you quite academic? Because you went to university, so presumably you were one of the first people in your family. No, well, family. my two oldest brothers, it's very, I, I don't quite know what happened. And I'm not really interested enough to find out, but the two oldest went to university, and I went to university. I think the, break, uh, the brother who's younger than me was quite severely dyslexic. And in those days, they didn't diagnose dyslexia as such. They just mm. thought you were a bit slow or inattentive or just not academic. And he excelled in sports, and I think that's quite common in people who have that kind of challenge in their life. Yeah. You know, they're, they, they're keen to do stuff and they find out that which they can do successfully. Because it must be a terrible thing if you have severe dyslexia, severe dyslexia especially if it isn't diagnosed. What a terrible yeah. sort of thing to have to fight through. It must have been horrible for him at school. But the first three of us were, were, did well enough at school, state school obviously. But, but it's interesting because my mum and dad weren't particularly well-educated people, certainly not formally. I mean, they both left school at, I think, 15 and 16. My dad was raised partially in care. Uh, he was, his mother was a single parent. Imagine yeah. that in the 40s, it was very different. And she was trying to work. Uh, and so she had him in, in like, he was in children homes being cared for. So she was part of his life. But, and so I think they were very keen, both my mum and dad. My mum comes also from a broken background, um, maritally. So they were keen to start their own family. So they got together when they were, I think both 16. Wow. And, they had their first child, my oldest brother, when they were 18. It was my father's 18th birthday. He had his first son, which today sounds kind of almost medieval. Yeah. But it was fairly common back then that people started families so young. And it's still more common in kind of genuine working class families than it is elsewhere. And so they had one when they were 18, one when they were 19. I came along when they were 21. They had another one when they were 23, another one when they were 24. Imagine that. So by the age they were 24, they had five kids. 24. And then another one after that. So when they're 25, they've got six children. And then they split up when, the, when you guys had left home, basically, didn't they? Yeah, my, uh, I think my dad always, I think my dad was unhappy. I don't really know yeah. for sure. And then, um, but I think he felt very, very much a strong sense of duty to stay with us until we were- Hi, I've been going in circles. Do you know where Kenwood House is? Kenwood House, yes. You are heading roughly in the right direction. I mean, it's kind of over that way. And I think you can do it by staying on the heath. But if you can't, if you go up, up here and keep to the right and hit the pavement, go around until you hit the main road, go up to a roundabout and do a left and Kenwood House is on the right. So it's basically, it's that direction where I'm pointing mm -hmm. now, yeah. which I would say is what? This direction, Sort okay. of north, northwest. Okay. But, yeah. but you can, if you head up through the heath into as far as you can go, uh, my, my suggestion really though would be Get to walk cab. up as far as you can, no, <laughs> <laughs> to walk up as far as you can go here and staying to this side of the thing. Okay. And then when you get to the top, hit the road, go up to the roundabout and then do a left. Do you know the name of the road? Uh, that is North End Road. Okay, great. Thank okay. you Good much. luck. Thanks. That was great, Jonathan. Yes, superior I'm... local knowledge. That was like you were sending so, like, someone off on some massive quest. That was like Lord of the Rings. See, that's the kind Good of luck. transaction I understand. So this is really incredible that you're, you're doing well, this. Only because you're, you're having to uh, talk about things. It's, for I an don't hour. mind talking about things. Okay, I, I, good. But uh, it's only because you're so desperately needy that you find this strange. <laughs> I mean, we're both, let's face it, both severely damaged human beings <laughs> from different sides of the compass, and that's fine, isn't it? We're a good fit. Em. Do you know anyone who isn't damaged? Um, no, no, I, I don't think anyone's. Do you not, think there's more damage? I mean, people... damage is perhaps a kind of weighty word to use yeah. here, but certainly I think everyone has will find upon examination themselves as they get older that there are issues perhaps which or things about themselves they didn't understand when younger that now make some sort of sense to them, and hopefully 
they arrive at some degree of comfort with that and realise that it's okay, you know, it's okay to interact with people how you feel comfortable. Yeah. And it's, uh, as long as you're clear and as long as you're, you know... But you're quite an painful. honest person, I think, aren't you? You've always been really yeah, honest. Yeah, I am, I am very honest, and that's why I tend not to give interviews. I don't mind giving interviews, but more often than not, as we know, and this isn't me whinging, but the newspapers, even the ones which are not tabloid, will... And often the journalists will blame whoever is involved, the editor who pulls one line out and gives it headline prominence out of context. And suddenly what you said actually isn't what you said. Yeah. It's close to what you said, but it's given undue importance or it's focused upon in a way which makes it seem different. And it's just tedious, really, to have to deal with that for no real reason, because, you know, they, they try and get you to talk to newspapers and people for when you're promoting TV shows, but it doesn't make any difference. It really doesn't, I mean, I mean, I've been on the cover of most magazines in the UK, and the week you're on the cover of a magazine, it has absolutely no impact yeah. on how many people watch that show. I mean, genuinely, you yeah. know, it really doesn't. So, but I mean, sometimes they're nice people, and sometimes it's quite fun to have a photograph taken, but it's not something which I, I overly enjoy. When you were growing up, so you left university, and I know you became like, you're a researcher, weren't you, a TV researcher? Yeah. And so did you have any sense then of going into the world that you're in now? No, not really. I mean, I knew I didn't want to work in a conventional job. When I was growing up, when I was little, we used to walk to school every morning. It was a long walk. It was probably about a mile and a half, two miles to mm. school each way. And uh, we used to walk sometimes. There was a, a family around the corner called the Hills. There was Mr. Hill, whose name was Edward. There was Mrs. Hill, whose name was Kath. Yeah. And they had uh, three boys or four boys, one of whom was called Matthew. Now, Matthew, was the, that was the first time I ever saw a dead body because when he just turned 18, mm. And he was a bit of a leery, very lovable, but leery sort of rogue. He was always hiding out in our house because he was one of the first people I ever met who understood credit cards. And he got a credit card when he first started working and ran up a huge bill, then got another one, then another one. So often, back in those days, well, men would turn up in suits, yeah. carrying briefcases from Barclay cards. Do you know where, where Matthew Hill lives? And he'd be hiding in the kitchen. And he uh, had a kind of trials bike and he used to race around it. He loved his trials bike. Yeah. And he got in some sort of altercation with another driver and it went badly and he got knocked off his bike. We never really found out what happened. And, he, and unfortunately, it was a taxi going behind him and he got crushed under the taxi. He was 18, he was crushed to death. <clears throat> and I remember going up to the, because I really liked Matthew. He wasn't particularly my friend, he was more my younger brother's friend, yeah. he was that age. But I liked him a lot as well, we all did. So I went to see the body, uh, you know, I thought I should. And it was the first time I'd ever seen a dead body, but see someone that young dead. Was That's quite, really traumatic, yeah. isn't So it? I must have been about 19 then, or yeah. maybe he was 17. Yeah. Um, so I, the reason why I told you that yeah. rather gruesome stories. I used to walk to school and we used to dread it because to get to school, at about the halfway mark, you'd go down the underground tunnel that, that went down to the underground station and up the other side. It was yeah. a cut through or there was a kind of busy road nearby. And Mr. Hill used to go to his job every day. He'd walk to, and he was, he was like, it was like someone out of almost like, you know, the, the 40s. He wore, he wore a bowler hat. Yeah. I used to walk to school often with a, the, a neighbour's father wearing a bowler hat. And I was too polite to not walk with him, but of course you don't want to be making conversation. <laughs> when you're 10, you don't want to spend, you know, I certainly don't, no. spend like half an hour every day talking to a man in his late 50s, <laughs> you know? And he was very sweet, he was very nice. Um, but here, here's the He point. would have been the last of the bowler hat wearers One generation, wouldn't he? But I remember walking into school and it was his last day at the office. And mm. I remember him saying, well, this is it, it's my last day there. And as luck would have it, as we went home from school, he must have gone, we bumped into him again. And he was a broken man. And they'd given him a carriage clock. I mean, this is literally what they used to do back yeah. then. So he'd worked for the same firm for something like 35 years. And they gave him a piece of shit carriage clock and said, thanks very much. And that was it. I don't know what sort of pension, pension he had, but you could see that 
a lot of his reason for living had gone. And I remember even at the time thinking, okay, well, this whole thing is a lie. Yeah. <laughs> this whole thing about work hard and be good and stay in one place. Um, that's why I remember when The Good Life started on TV, I felt very cheated because I was so excited. Because <laughs> all the newspapers said, uh, young couple find out the way to opt out of the rat race. And already when I was about 12, that was my big concern. So I remember thinking, okay, man, I'm watching this, I'm taking notes. Yeah. This is a way to survive and to live happily without having to be Mr. Hill. And I watched it, and when I found out that essentially it was a sitcom, it wasn't a life guide, it was a sitcom, and you still needed a house with a garden to get by, well, that's not easy. You wanted to really opt out. Well, I wanted to arrive. I wanted already to be living with Barbara in the house, built growing potatoes, (laughs) having the marvellous passive-aggressive love square, I suppose it was, with Margot and Joey next door. My eyes were... I was scared of... I was scared of... Being, I mean, I've never liked being told what to do in the morning, but um, I didn't want to be in a position where I yeah. had no control over myself, or indeed was doing something that was unrewarding, Yeah. and someone else had the power just to say, okay, you're going to stop now, bye, we don't need you anymore. So then you were, definitely, you were an outlier then, uh, because that's quite an unusual way to think, because the majority of people do think. I think it was unusual in Leytonstone in the mid-60s, certainly yeah. for a young person. Yeah. But I didn't, I didn't... I didn't live there in a way. In a way, I lived in America in my imagination because all I did was read comics yeah. or watch TV and film shows. So I dreamt, and I, I kind of never thought I would ever get to visit America because it wasn't open to people like me back then. I mean, people didn't, you know, cheap flights didn't really kick in until, uh, who was that guy, Edward Laker? Now it's closed Laker again had, to so many people. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not so much though. I mean, it's different reasons. <laughs> yeah. But back then, financially, yeah. it was just not on the cards. Yes. that you could go to America. I mean, we never had a holiday out of the country. I never went out of the country with my family. So then when you started doing The Last Resort, which I remember, and it was kind of, it was really, for me, I remember thinking, well, there's no one else like that who's like me, who's young and doesn't look like, everyone seemed old on television, people doing chat shows, and it was pretty groundbreaking, wasn't it, that well, show? Well, I suppose it was, I think what I think was, was probably, you know, attention-worthy at the time, and this is what people responded to, I think, was that I deliberately didn't want to do a youth TV show. Yeah. And I wouldn't let them cast me as a young person doing a show. And I wasn't that... I mean, I was 26 when it started. Right. So I'm not really a young person. I was perhaps young in terms of the landscape of TV then, but only in terms of the landscape of, like, evening TV... Yeah. ...and being given your own show. And it was, you know, it's a real... Tri- this boy's getting a bit tired now. Yeah, We've got to stay for a while. We should start heading back with okay. him. Okay. Because he is not... getting tired. He's a good boy. Do you want to rest for a minute? Sweetheart. But I, I deliberately... That's why I wore, my, that's why I wore suits. Because suits weren't really in fashion with young men back then, particularly. Um, some started wearing... This is kind of late 80s, isn't Yeah, it? I mean, yeah. I always loved clothes, partly perhaps because I never had any nice clothes when I was young, and so I yeah. always was very, very troubled by my appearance. So as soon as I got my I started being interested in fashion, and I was the right age for punk, and punk was so much fun, and so kind of like you could experiment and be crazy with clothes yeah. and make stuff. And then there was like new romantics, and there was kind of you could wear a zoot suit, which yeah. I never had a proper zoot suit, much to my chagrin, but I had an approximation of it that I formed for my items from the local Oxfam shop. Yeah. So I always liked suits and suiting generally. And then kind of mid-80s... Jean-Paul Gaudier started making slightly odd-shaped suits for men. I remember thinking, oh, this is amazing, because these are clearly not business suits. But they have that, they're a nod towards the formality of the suit and a nod towards the male uniform. And also, when you're wearing a suit, it's actually very easy if you're not particularly good stylishly. I mean, 
you know, I like the way I dress. Most people are somewhat confused by it. And <laughs> so I, I would see That's a suit. That's a big part of your life, isn't it? It's your well, sort of self-expression. Yeah, I mean, not for me it isn't. For me, they're clothes. Well, I oh. like them, but yeah. um, to be honest with you, I can spend four days in sort of soft lounge pyjamas if I'm indoors and I don't think... I want to go out and put something nice on. Yeah. You know, and I'll wander out in those clothes. It's, just, it's not like I'm particularly interested in the effect of how it lands with others. But um, I do, you know, I like design generally right across the board. And so clothes yes. is part of that. <laughs> and, and the interesting about these suits was, like most suits, is when you put them on, you're dressed. The great thing about a suit is it's hard to mess up a suit. You can, but providing the shoes aren't ridiculous and providing the shirt isn't ridiculous, you're good to go. Yeah. Because it all matches. You know, and it's acceptable. I mean, for women, it's a bit more nightmarish. For women, and of course, Eddie Izzard, who's never quite got it right, that pink beret was a huge sartorial misstep, Eddie, if you don't mind Someone me tried so. to steal the pink beret, then. Well, uh, they were doing him a favour. I wish he'd let him get away with it. I, I suspect that's why Labour lost votes that year. It was Eddie's beret. But did you... So after the last resort, Jonathan, that was when you became famous, wasn't it? That's when you must have thought... Yes. Do you remember thinking, oh, OK, I'm famous? Uh, I remember the moment when I thought, oh, yeah, this is having some sort of impact on people, is when I was walking down South Moulton Street, probably looking in... There was a shop down there, was Jones down there, and Browns, and there was another shop uh, called Bazaar, which was a great shop. I remember Bazaar, oh, yeah. And I lost it up. They had a Jean-Paul yes. Gaultier bowler hat with a spike sticking out the top. So you wanted a bowler hat like Mr Hill? I wanted, no, it wasn't like Mr <laughs> Hill. It had a spike out the top. It was the antithesis of Hill's hat. So um, I remember I was probably wandering in their window shopping. Yeah. And I didn't have a lot of money. I mean, in fact, the suit I wore bizarrely in the first show wasn't uh, Gautier, it was Armani. Right. It was a suit that I later wore for our wedding when I got married to Jane, which was the next year. But um, <clears throat> and I remember being down there and someone coming up to me and, somebody, and asking for my autograph. And it was such a weird thing because, first of all, I mean, I didn't particularly like people approaching me who I didn't know. And then when they asked autograph, and I remember thinking, oh, God, I haven't really figured out how to sign this. <laughs> so I wasn't one of those kids who practices their autographs on their school book. Uh, I mean, in fact, I, when I used to dabble in drawing comic books when I was younger, I used to sign myself Darcy Sato. So if you'd have asked I love me that. that was a name taken from an episode of Hancock, which I also liked when I was a kid, even though I didn't see it when it first went out, but I yeah. had the scripts. And uh, there's an episode where he can't find the final page of a detective thriller. The You're going this way, turner. babe, yeah. And the, right, the book was called Lady Don't Fall Backwards. And the author is Darcy Sato. So I, I acquired that as a pen name. So I'd never mastered my own signature particularly well. And even today, my handwriting is pretty deplorable and my signature's not good or consistent. But that was a moment where I thought, oh, I see. Yeah. So they are, people are watching. But it's, to be honest with you, I mean, I didn't particularly enjoy it because that whole period, I was just in a state of near constant panic worrying Were about you? the show. Because the show, first three or four weeks, it was not live. We recorded at about 7.30 and it went out at 12.30. And then because it was getting attention, Channel 4 wanted to move it earlier and go live. They were kind yeah. of obsessed with live TV back then, which is, which is fun. So we were doing a live show. Bear in mind, I have no real performance background or experience and sort of lucked into this job and was also asked to do it. But it was a strange position. I mean, I wanted to do it. I thought I wanted to do it. And suddenly I'm going out live, doing a live show, which is yeah. quite challenging. And it's very difficult as well because we didn't necessarily have the best guests always and that had its fun, it had its own identity. I mean, I remember there was a funny quote, I think he'd smash it, from one of the members of AHA, <laughs> who said, they said, what's your favourite show on TV? Reference, yeah. And he said, the last resort on a good night. So what's, what's your least favourite show on TV? He said, the last resort on a bad night. And I had to agree with him. But I like that you got slammed by Morton Hargan. Oh, it wasn't Morton, no, no. <laughs> no, Mort no, is it the other Morton's one? Morton's always been there for me. It was one of the... <laughs> One of the lesser band members. It was Ped or something. Heg Hugh. Yeah, Ped. Someone who should actually be a shelving unit. <laughs> but that was really life-changing. And you'd met Jane. 
who I should say that reasons of full disclosure, which is how I've got this access. Well, it's how we became my, friends. We're yeah. friends as well. I yeah, mean, you know, I've known you now well, for about really 18 years or something. Yeah, like longer. Oh, 23. It feel, certainly feels longer, but I think it is about, <laughs> <laughs> feels about 40. You're um, horrible, but actually you're not really. You're someone who is really generous. Like you're the most generous person I know, I think. And, but you're also someone who cannot bear to take compliments. Why do you think that is? I'm sorry, I wasn't really listening. What, what was that you just said? I was, as soon you're as you started, you're as soon a very, as you very saying, generous person. Yeah. It's true though, isn't it? Why can't you take compliments? I, I don't really feel comfortable with them, I suppose. I don't particularly value them. Okay. I think I have a fairly strong sense of myself. Uh, and also, often I've heard people... Look, in my line of work, you get complimented a lot and sometimes falsely. So yeah, I think there is, it is healthy to have a yeah. degree of scepticism about them and not to value them too much. Yeah. Uh, but on the individual edge, yeah, well, I think, I think kind of, in, to some extent, that level of emotional exchange is not welcome, you know. I mean, I'm, I, lear, I mean, we used to joke, Jane and I, that she was my human credentials. Well, I which like I that. now think we meant she was someone who understood the interaction would occasionally steer me to the right thing to say and do with friends. Yeah. You know, whereas that's I good. kind of... But that's quite healthy, isn't it? Having well, that yes and no. I mean, I value honesty as well. And sometimes I think an honest relationship, which is rare, yeah. could be more fruitful, but just supply different things, you know. I mean, there are times when various of my friends, most of whom, not exclusively, but many of whom work in the creative field, and sometimes they'll produce something which isn't really the standard any of us would wish. Yeah. And apparently, you have to still say it was great, which I find odd. I mean, I don't... Do you find ask, that difficult? I never would you ask rather people say, yeah. what they think of my work. Yeah. I have a clear idea of it, and if an audience is finding it and liking it, yeah, we will get yeah. recommissioned. If they're not, we won't. Yes. But ultimately... Sorry, John, should we go up here? Hold on, where are we? So where are we now? I don't know, we're lost. Uh, no, I do. no I know we're not. We've come a long way. I know. In so many different wild? ways you can interpret we're... that set of. We've come it's... a long way. <laughs> is, that up, is it up this way? It's go? up there and then yeah, it's white. This is we, right. We're this right is on right. the back end. See that lady I gave directions to? Yeah. She did follow my directions. Hopefully she'll be here. She'll be here. But she needs to be over there. <laughs> so whether or not... Have you ever seen the film called The Swimmer? Oh, yes, I have seen it. Yeah. Lancaster. Yeah, where he goes through people's back gardens. Yes. Maybe she would have been the jogger and she, she ran through lots that. of back she gardens. She ran back gardens. So I know you don't like compliments, Jonathan, but... No, it's not I don't like I do them. Think they're they're fine. I just don't really respond to them. OK, you don't respond way, to them. I mean, I'd rather them not be coming my way, okay. but given the alternative, they're yes. preferable. OK. Well, I think you've, you're, you've done an incredibly, incredible job with your kids. Ah, uh, you don't know them. <laughs> See, that is me undercutting a compliment. Is but it? But yeah, okay. I, uh, they're, 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 they're really, really nice, kind, young human beings. they really decent people? I think so. Yeah. I like to think the world is a better place for them, in it. I think it is, definitely. Which is all you can really hope for. Yeah. Come on, I might have to carry you. So you, your chat show is coming back this autumn. Late August. Yeah. And do you still love interviewing people? Do you enjoy doing it? Well, it's a job. I mean, I, I don't say I've ever loved it, particularly. Mm. I mean, I, I like it. There are very few things I love. Yeah. But um, I like doing it a lot. On, on the night when you're on form and the guests are in the right mood to be played for. I mean, it's a peculiar kind of show we do. These are like entertainment talk shows. They're not 
revelatory emotional talk shows and when we touch sometimes on real issues and I like to think I'm reasonably adept at mixing the two together because it's quite that's quite a difficult task but it's as much to do with creating a mood yeah for the viewer and in the studio and letting the uh I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick him up so he will now be panting. no 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 don't go over there come this way here daddy get you oh you are a heavy old lump <laughs> okay here we go there, oh, what's that snow. it's a good boy let's oh, give you a break because you're a bit tired aren't you this is how i feel doing the show some weeks <laughs> sometimes it's all you doing the lifting but no i like doing it a lot yeah you know it's also fun as you get older as well you don't want to be retired really i mean i've enjoyed this first half of the year, ICV were spending the money they would have put on my show trying yeah. out new things, like the nightly show, which I'm thrilled to say wasn't a success. Yes. And um, so I was like, and also we, I thought we'd be out the country with Jane's work anyway. So it suited both of us. But in the end, I've been around. Yeah. And I've really enjoyed not having a routine, particularly. When I've got a bit of routine, I do a weekly show on Radio 2. Yeah. So once a week you go out and you interact with people and do some business and then go home again. That's quite nice. And radio, I find, comes quite naturally to me. So well, it's people not say, and you know, I agree with that people always say you're one of the best radio show. I mean, that's you're brilliant. You're so who good are these it. people? <laughs> Where are they? They didn't want to be named. I don't blame them. They're in the witness protection, the wireless protection. Hey, eh? oh come! But your life's nice right now, isn't it? Because uh, the kids. Yeah, are no, my life has always been nice. Yeah. Even when I've had stress and concern, I've always. Yeah. Look, I am someone who tends to focus even in the midst of adversity yeah. on the positive i mean the other day this is going to sound silly to you perhaps but the other day i remember feeling really happy oh look at school oh yeah hey boy hello and he's got a nut it's like a squirrel posing for a he's picture so already i know oh, instagram squirrel hey squirrel i remember getting two things made me feel very happy last week yeah one, one was my hands i was holding Your several hands. things in my hands i remember thinking Man, these are well designed. <laughs> this weird, so lucky to have these things. Look at this. And I was experimenting my hands. Now I'm 56. Still, my hands surprise That's and delight amazing. me every day. Yeah. So I'm happy. So that made me really happy. And that gave me a good spring in my step for the first half of the day. Yeah. Easily. And every now and then I'd look down, they're still there, still working. <laughs> but you know, we take that sort of shit for granted. They're, they're magnificent. Your hands are a magnificent creation. Evolutionary speaking. <laughs> I mean, imagine if you didn't have an opposable thumb. <laughs> It would be a nightmare. So that's number and you, one. And, um, the other thing yeah, was modern plumbing. Modern I was going to the toilet, which I do more often these days on the issue. I remember thinking, oh, can you imagine if I had to walk like half a mile out of the village and dump yeah. into a stream and then come, and there's no paper. I mean, I was playing tennis with David Bedill once and I desperately needed to go and I went behind a bush. And I don't know if you've wiped your backside <laughs> on leaves recently, but they, no, they lack absorbency. You did go to the bathroom in the woods, didn't you? It was, well, it was behind a bush, yeah. And I tell you that. But they were a, your own woods. Well, it sounds that, like you've got your own a, woods. That you know was what a I big mean. pile I left there. About a week later, I had to blame. I said, oh, maybe we've got a family of foxes living down there because it was still present. So, but anyway, modern plumbing. So, and I, I genuinely, I'm not saying this to be cute, genuinely, I remember thinking, this is amazing. We live at this time now. Thank oh God, I'm so grateful to be alive <laughs> right now as opposed to 100 years ago, which would have been fun, I'm sure. Oh, it wouldn't have been. It would have been really tough. But you wouldn't have had the future to compare it to him. Exactly. So, oh, that's know, true, yes. I don't I think you would have thought... Should we cut? Should we cut through here? We cut through. I'm just thinking Let's of Let's just get a cab. We can't get a taxi. By here. Oh, there's a taxi. Uh, Let's we can't get a cab. Get... Are you OK? Should we get... Let's stand here for a minute. We'll give I'm him just a... worried about him Snowball. being too tired. Where should we sit? Is it... Let's sit on these stumps. He's also... He's got a lecture to give this afternoon, so he's got Oh, a... Professor Snowball's busy. Go... Yeah. 
Hey, Snow, come sit down here. Snow's come and oh. sit here. Oh, is he all right, John? See, I'm all right. Hear that noise I made sitting down? That was a man's noise making noise in my That was a full on. Uh. Snowball! He's also wearing, I couldn't find the normal lead. He has oh, a he's harness because he's a thick neck dog. So he's wearing his winter harness, which is sort of a fetching uh, teal coloured tweed. And uh, is that teal? He looks really like stylish. Yeah, it is teal. I call it prison breaks. It's a bit denim. Mm. I was saying earlier that I think you're, you're really generous, and I think you like. Say that again, because no one heard that. You're really that. generous. What, but you that? like doing that. You like taking people out, and you like buying dinner, and you oh, like... No, you know, I don't know whether I like it, but I prefer it's the alternative. There's no Which way I want to sit... Well, if I've got... There's a great quote, if I'm going to give you, from the great Telly Savalas. Go on. An actor whom I admire greatly. Not of great range, but he Love was wonderful Savalas, in Kojak. Yeah. He's also, there's a Mario Bava horror film called Lisa and the Devil, which is amazing, mm. which was a couple of years before Kojak, and he looks the same, and he sucks a lollipop in it. So I can't help but think he was already trying out yeah. that particular, not the deepest character trait, a love of lollipops, but it was memorable. And I used to have a picture of Telly Savalas, which I kept on my computer occasionally as a screensaver of Telly, looking magnificent. Huge Greek-American man, yeah. unashamedly thick in every area, right? Where oiled up, sunbathing, oiled up, where he looked like a giant savoir, wearing the tiniest pair of orange speedos. Yeah. It's an amazing look, right? And he said sometime, he was giving an interview in the, uh, when Kojak was in its prime, and yeah. very, very generous man. I mean, genuinely, you know, like t- over-tipping everyone. Uh, and someone said, you're, you're kind of very generous, perhaps foolishly so. He went, you know, if Telly's holding, everybody's holding. And I really like that phrase. I think, you know, you should share your good fortune. And like, so I if, really like know, that. If I'm out with someone... I'm going to start saying that. Yeah. JR's holding. No, don't say it about me. I don't want to get around. <laughs> and also, he said it about himself, which was amazing. Yes, I love that he said it about himself. No, but that's, again, that's acts of service. I prefer the clinical phrase, transactional. OK, transactional. But you're good, like, when you buy presents, you're very thoughtful as well. I'm quite thoughtful. I tried to you are Jane's last birthday. I was mm. quite impressed. I was bowled over. Just Only the thoughtful. Quite. No, but they were pretty impressive. Were, well, you know, because I do love Jane, and I wanted to have nice gifts. But I've learned to be better. In actual fact, over the years, there's a difference between generosity and thoughtfulness. And often, I used to buy stuff because it caught my eye. Yeah. And I thought it seemed fun. And I gave very little time to think about whether the person it was intended for would share that feeling. Yeah. And so more often than not, people would get gifts that I was excited to see opened. And they were nice gifts, but they weren't tailored to them. And I learned in recent years that, in actual fact, what's fine is such a straightforward thing. It sounds almost stupid to point out, but if you listen to people during the course of the year, mm. when they express a desire, for example, <laughs> for a brighter light near where they put makeup on, that would make a good gift. As opposed to what I would have bought her, which was a portable multi-charger unit, which you can power a flat screen TV off of <laughs> if you're in a field, which is an amazing thing. And I would buy that for, as a gift for anyone and think that's a great gift. But I realise now that she doesn't have a need for that, but yeah. she did have a need for a brighter light over by that side of the bed. <laughs> so that was seen as a more thoughtful gift. Yeah. Consequently, I reasoned it was a better purchase, and indeed it was. Although, I'm not going to tell you in advance, but this birthday, don't buy yourself a portable power block. Before, <laughs> That's so what I'm going to get. you turn 50 next You're year. Gonna, I don't turn 50 next I you were year. 50 next year. I'm not, please don't <laughs> say that. I'm not 50 next year. That's such a root one joke. I apologise. <laughs> I'm not going to say how old I am. I remember, which is a bit, it's a bit heavy, this, but it's fine. It's my show. I can say what I want. When my sister was really sick, and I can remember you were the person that was kind of, you and Jane were very practical. And you said, right, do you need, you weren't just saying, oh, it's really sad, this is terrible. You were like, right, what about a car to take you to the hospital or something? Which yeah. was just like really useful because 
people it's you know people are great and they say oh this is a terrible thing that's happened but you actually want someone just thinking of those practical things i think sometimes often being offering some sort of practical support is a really nice gift for people even though it's yeah. not glamorous yeah um, but then sometimes it is just thoughtfulness and i remember a friend of mine whose father was dying of cancer and i didn't know his father particularly well i've met him once or twice this is someone who's, who's famous yeah. so i won't name him and um I said, I'm, you know, I'm so sorry about your dad's bad. Is there anything I can get him or do for him? Because he'd met me and he quite liked me. And I think he liked, he liked my work on the film show, which I did for years on the BBC. Yeah. He said, well, he, he really loves those sort of 60s spy films. He used to love it when you interviewed those guys and that. So I got together. So I just, it's very easy to do, really. I'm lucky enough that I have something of a disposable income. So I bought like 20 spy films on DVD from that period. Some obscure, yeah. some of And wrapped them up in a box for DVD and made sure you had a DVD to watch them on. And then sent them over. And I know that he like that and I think he probably liked the thought that went into it as much as the films probably yeah. I suspect sometimes when you're feeling down the fact that someone's bought you something but they haven't sent you over flowers they haven't sent you over flowers or chocolates some of like that they thought what does this person like what does this person want what would make cheer this person up the, the fact that you put that level of thought into who they are yeah often means more than the actual physical thing that you're sending over so uh, I've learned to be slightly more well I think I was always fairly thoughtful but I've learned to value that more do you think you've changed a lot then? Like in the lot, I mean, everyone changes, so it's a kind of a bit of a stupid question in that sense. But I mean, do you think you've changed dramatically? I think fundamentally, no, because deep down inside, I think there is a kernel of a person, my belief is, that's formed when you're pretty young and that person's always there. I think you do change and you can work on yourself in the way you interact with others yeah. and what you receive from them and what you give to them. And I've certainly changed that. And also politically, you can change in terms of you become... I mean, I, I never, I was, I, I genuinely don't believe I was ever an arrogant person, but sometimes in my line of work, you have to give off a certain breezy confidence, which is very easily mistaken for arrogance. And when performing in that kind of while, and really on, on screen, you know, always you're performing, even if you don't think you are, you're always, always offering a, always an on, edited you, yeah. version of yourself or yeah. an exaggerated version of yourself. Uh, and I think sometimes, certainly in my early career, I felt very keenly that I should present this sort of, uh, image that you were on top of it that you could have the final say that you were smart enough to come back with a one-liner boom 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 uh, and that's not always particularly attractive to watch or comfortable to be in the presence of and when that would bleed into my own life I think that was it wasn't comfortable for those around me so I think yeah. learning to just cherry-pick the aspects of your personality that you share with others the awareness that you can do that <clears throat> and there's nothing wrong with doing that it's yeah. actually a decent thing to do so that you know you don't always say what you're thinking and and i am some as i said earlier i'm somebody who values honesty so i have to sometimes stop from <laughs> saying what i'm thinking because it's the truth as it feels to me i mean there's not necessarily any objective truth but certainly this is my reaction to a certain circumstances and i realize no that's not you oh, yeah. can't say that it's not your, okay book, to say your it. book is terrible I mean, I've read friends' books sometimes, which I thought weren't great, and they've been fishing for compliments, and I've learned how to say, yes, it was good. Do you say, do you use the classic, um, wow, you pulled it off? You've done what, it what again, an achievement. Is no, You've done it again, well, is good. Well, I tell you what, I mean, occasionally, some films as well. No, occasionally you'll find something to focus on within the work that wasn't as awful as the rest of it, or, or indeed, if it's something like, I mean, if it's professionally on screen, uh, when I was doing the film show, I had to be honest, and I was. I was always, I never said I liked something I didn't like, and I often said I quite liked things which I knew other people would hate, and I would try and find something, especially the, the, towards the end of that tenure, because I, be, I get, had a growing realisation of just how hard it is to make a film, <clears throat> so I would try and be a bit gentler. But um, uh, I, if I'm doing it on the talk show, where you're not being paid to give an opinion, yeah. 
So you can therefore avoid it without it feeling like you're betraying, you know, the purpose of your job or the people are paying you, so or the audience. So uh, I will then often, if it's a terrible, terrible movie and a guest is already booked for it, I will just pretend I haven't seen it. Really? Yeah, which is fine because really they're there to talk about the movie partially. You're there to create a fun thing yeah. which has an element of that in it. There's no reason why you can't say, so tell me about the film. You know, why do you want to do it? Working with this guy was good. Working with this woman was great. This director, this moment, boom, boom, boom. Well, good luck with it. That's not yeah. compromise because <laughs> that's still fulfilling the function of the show. <clears throat> but it's a mate to avoid you the awkwardness of saying, yeah. I mean, yeah. occasionally, if I know someone really well, I know they can take it, I might. And I know, often you know the people themselves don't like the film, but they're in an awkward position as well. They've got to promote yeah, it, haven't they? Yeah, they're obliged to promote it. Oh, Snow, while you're doing a wee. He's looking for a little wee. He's had a little rest. He's gonna, good boy, though. This That's is good. the best Let's do it walk of his life. Well, look, okay, I want to say, no, the best walk of his life, I think, was, and you'll appreciate it, was <laughs> a couple of years back, it snowed heavily, and I wanted him to experience the snow. Yeah. And partly also, I wanted to, I wanted to cut a dash with him, because he's a handsome boy. He looks great, I bet, in the snow. And I've got a, a long coat that I bought about 30 years ago. By yeah. design, I'm not sure they're called Matsuda. Are they still okay. going? Okay, don't know if I've heard of them. They were yeah, kind they of sound, in that wave when I've people were them, buying yeah. Yoji and Kenji. Yes, Kenzo. yeah, 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 I know. A lot of Japanese designers picked up over here have now fallen by the wayside. So it's Matsuda. It's an amazing coat. It's like a kind of <laughs> thin fabric great coat. It goes down almost to my ankles, and I'm 6'2", so that's a long coat. And it's got big black satin collars. Yeah. So I was excited about the chance to have that wearing out. So I put that on, and someone had <laughs> given me a top hat recently. So I put some big Rick Owens boots on, my Matsuda coat. Did Matt you wear Suda the top coat. hat? I put the top was hat that, on. Did David Baddiel give you the top hat? No, he gave me a white top hat. So I went out wearing, took him for, what a, can you imagine what, what a figure a sight. we got? He had a black lead. He's as oh. white as the snow, a black lead. It probably looked like I was just walking on my own holding a string. <laughs> snow everywhere, I'm stomping through it. Top hat, oh, I like to think it cheered everyone up that day. But the other snow story, and this is a sweet yeah, story. You know, on. I mentioned earlier on Betty's first dog, Captain Jack. Oh, yeah. He was an adorable Shih Tzu. He was know. lovely. Well, that was partly what inspired me to get well, Shih Well, temperamentally, you couldn't have a sweeter dog. Yeah. And, and just very pleasant company, just yeah. a, a joy to be with. And when he, he got ill, he had... Um, he had a, a lump grew up around his neck, some sort yeah. of cancerous, but fairly benign cancer growth. But one stage he had to feel his breathing, we had it removed, and then it started growing back. But then he started being in pain about something, and we had him diagnosed. He had a, a thing called an, an, a nerve sheath tumour. So it's a tumour growing around the nerve ends up the top right. of the shoulder. And they said, look, we can manage the pain, but he might not have long. He might only have a week, he might only have a month, maximum we can three months. And I said, well, we'd like him home with us. If he's not in pain and he's got some quality of life, let's keep him alive. So we took him home. Fast forward, almost a year later, he's still doing fine. Okay, I mean, we have to give him pills every yeah. day, twice a day, but he's doing fine, he clears. And then, I think it was February, it's fairly late in the year, I woke up, I went to give him his food, he wasn't, wouldn't touch his food. And he started complaining, he was growling, didn't want his mares, didn't want his food, and I thought, okay, this, I think we've probably come to the end. So I called the vet to make him visit, mm. and I'm stroking him, I could see he was very out of sorts, and it, and it obviously was getting worse, he was yowling. Yeah and <clears throat> refusing everything, didn't even want to drink, and I thought, this is not good. And bear in mind, he's already had nine months more than we said the best chance we would have with him. And then, interesting, he was a dog who'd always loved the snow. When it snowed, he'd always love the snow. He would go out and be in the garden for hours in the snow. He'd love walking in the snow. While I'm waiting for the vet, it started snowing in the garden. And the snow, it was cold, and the snow started settling. And I took him out in the garden, and you could see it cheered, oh. it cheered him up on like. Oh, and, and I'm actually going to cry. This and, is but it was such a beautiful story. thing. And yeah. even though I'm not prone to that kind of nonsense of thinking about things meaning anything when they are just, you know, it's just geography and. and oh, no, I think that's really pleasure. lovely. But he went out and he just had the loveliest time 
in the garden and you could see it lightning and then we got back inside and he was miserable again and the vet came around and said no well, they never tell you you should do it they say yeah. i think you should consider it and uh so we did we put him to sleep that morning and he was oh. on my lap being stroked when he went to sleep that's the, that's the is the sad thing about dogs is that that you know you've had, had to endure multiple deaths but it's sad and it isn't sad. I mean, that's the sad thing about life, isn't it? And, and is it sad? It's just the nature of life. It's I know it is, but it's the fact that it happens with quite a lot of regularity and you yeah, only get a small period. You get, what, what 12, 15 years? Are you fooling yourself? Years. Would you buy one? You think it's going to last for 50? It's like... Well, no, but I might... Yeah, I'll get 12 Wise years. Why I know I'm, it's, I'm going... I almost put him in the bin last time I saw him. <laughs> I thought, uh, seriously. That was because he went to the bathroom in I your, your, your office. I thought the cat had coughed something up. I was going to flush it away. <laughs> In your office with all your toys. Mm. So how many toys have you got, do you think? I have no idea. I've got way too many toys. I've got no idea. I don't know how many comics I've got. They're prodigious collections of both, and I very much yeah. enjoy them. And do you think, is that, do you like buying them? Did you, do, you, do you sort of consciously think, right, I'm going to treat myself now, because I can? Well, no, I think it's partly, there's a brilliant comic book writer um, called um, Chris Ware, who won a prize for oh, his Oh, yes, book, I know. Jimmy yes. Corrigan, and he's a remarkable talent. Yeah, he's amazing. And he sometimes used to do these fake adverts, which echoed the adverts that you would find in children's comics. And they were actually intended for adults back in the 40s as well. But they were like for GIs coming back who had a low level of literacy, would read Superman and Batman and detective stuff. And it, that's why they were popular. They were as expensive back in mm. the 40s as Time magazine. But because they stayed in that slot, they became seen as just for kids over the years. But they had fairly detailed, heavily texted um, advertisements at the back. And he did one, a spoof of one, in which he talked about collectors. And I felt this kind of cringed, I shuddered and blushed with embarrassment when I realised how much he skewed me because he talked about collectors, get these obscure robots from the 1960s, especially, especially desired by TV personalities, low-level media stars <laughs> and uh, everyone who have a, a desperate sense of entitlement that was not fulfilled in childhood. It was something <laughs> on those lines and I thought, man, that's me. I mean, it really is. He's nailed you so there. When I was a kid, we didn't have any money and yeah. we didn't have much in the way of goods. We had a bike one year, and I think my parents got them all on a catalogue and were paying them off for the next year. Oh, but, did they? Uh, but and most, did you have to share everything, presumably, well, with the boys as well? Most of the toys well. I got were, many of the toys I got were second-hand. Yeah. Uh, well, it wasn't so much sharing, it's just we didn't have a lot. And, and I, and I p possibly compensating for, you know, the lack of emotional connection in my life, I was happy to enjoy the company of things I don't know but yeah. certainly I, I I wanted things now it's different now I am slightly into it partly because I enjoy collecting and yeah, I enjoy interacting it, with yeah. my other collectors yeah. we share stories about them and where can we trade and you offer them you'll move stuff around I mean all collections really you're just looking after it for the next generation if it's nice stuff and so you it's beholden on you to, to look after it well and to keep it in good condition to and to be generous with it when you're gone and make sure that other people get to enjoy it but the um there's a quote, I'll give you a quote here, you're like this yeah. from Tom Waits' masterpiece of Foreign Affair. Okay. Where he's actually talking about wanderlust and travel. It's a brilliantly written song. But he says, he says uh, the obsessions in the chasing and not the apprehending, the pursuit you see and never the arrest. Oh, and there is like something that. in there, which is it's a way of filling time yeah. and having something fun to do. And there is a certain psyche that enjoys ticking off a list. Uh, well, like train spotting is well, essentially it's the, the quest to get the thing collecting something but you don't have it afterwards so yeah. in a way it's a much more sensible way of living but uh i collect them and i like holding on to them. and i do like i like working on the display and change the display and sharing photographs and making model kits based on them i enjoy that it's all it's quite meditative I yeah think i, I think that's true it. that's your mindfulness practice yeah <laughs> you're there but you're not there 
Yeah. You know, it's, and it takes you outside yourself, and you can immerse yourself in something like that more so than you can if you're reading even or watching a film, because then you know you're. Well, that's responding. a different kind of escapism. Well, you isn't respond it? Something, it, in a way, yeah. you respond to something outside yourself, and in a way, yeah. when you're working in solitary on something which you enjoy, you're sort of inside yourself. I think you're quite a calm person. But, but you're one of those people though. What? You <laughs> no, but you are, Jonathan. For someone who I would describe as an uh, alpha male. Oh, God. You are? Uh-huh. <laughs> Do you not like being an alpha male? No, I don't mind it. I, I, don't, <laughs> I, I don't know how useful those kind of phrases really are in the real world, but okay. certainly, yeah, I'm certainly uh, a confident, yes. privileged white man. <laughs> We came a long walk, didn't we? We, we still, really did. I don't know if you're. So, well, you're going to be home soon, and you're going to have to This will be edited water. for um, your listening consumption. But we've walked yeah. for seven hours now. <laughs> We're very nearly home. He's going to sleep this afternoon. Come on, we walk slowly. I think if we walk a bit slower, he can do it. We're going to have to let. We let him set the pace a bit. There you go. Oh, Snowball, that's it. We we're probably walking too quickly, weren't we? We're so close, Snowball. I can see your house. <laughs> Look. The other dogs are going to be furious if they didn't get a mini walk either. Do you think so? You have well, to take I'll them take, out later. I very rarely take one out on its own. I normally take two or three at once. Yeah. And then go back in and do the other two or three. But Snowball, still, how excited are you? Look where we are, Snowball. We're back at the house now. That was a good exercise. Here. Come on, take it off. Thank you so much, Snowball. Right. And thank you, Jonathan. We're coming into the call. We'll unleash Snowball and you can have, yeah, we'll all have a walk. Yeah, take him in now. Get in, boys. Yeah, we're hey, back. Boys. We're back. I really hope you enjoyed listening today and I would just like to say that this podcast is in memory of Princess Ross, the sweetest, most lovely chihuahua that I ever met. We miss you and we love you, Princess. That's all for now and I'll just leave you with this doggy tip. If you want the ball so much, human being, maybe don't throw it. <laughs> <laughs>